stars, and the plain bellied children had none upon theirs. When the star bellied snitches had frankfurter roast, or picnics, or parties, or marshmallow toast, they never invited the plain bellied snitches. They left them out cold in the dark of the beaches. They kept them away. They never let them come near. And that's how they treated them year after year. Then one day, it seems, while the plain belly snitches were moping and doping alone on the beaches, just sitting there wishing their bellies had stars, a stranger zipped up in the strangest of cars. My friends, he announced in a voice clear and keen, my name is Sylvester McMonkey McBean, and I've heard of your troubles, I've heard you're unhappy, but I can fix that. I'm the fix-it-up chappy. I've come here to help you. I have what you need, and my prices are low, and I work at great speed, and my work is 100% guaranteed. Then quickly, Sylvester McMonkey McBean put together a very peculiar machine, and he said, you want stars like a star belly snitch? My friends, you can have them for $3 each. Just pay me your money and hop right aboard. So they cl clambered inside. Then the big machine roared, and it clonked, and it bonked, and it jerked, and it burped, and it bopped them about. But the, really, the thing really worked. When the plain belly snitches popped out, they had stars. They actually did. They had stars upon Mars. Then they yelled at the ones who had stars at the start. We're exactly like you. You can't tell us apart. We're all just the same now, you snooty old smarties. And now we can go to your Frankfurter parties. Good grief, groaned the ones who had stars at the first. We're still the best snitches, and they are the worst. But now, how in the world will we know? They all frowned. If which kind is what, or the other way round. Then up came McBean with a very sly wink, and he said, Things are not quite as bad as you think. So you don't know who's who. That's perfectly true. But come with me, friends. Do you know what I'll do? I'll make you again the best snitches on beaches, and all it will cost you is $10 eaches. Better stars are no longer in style, said McBean. What you need is a trip through my star-off machine. This wondrous contraption will take off your stars, so you won't look like snitches who have them on Mars. And that handy machine worked very precisely, removed all the stars from their tummies quite nicely. Then with snoots in the air, they paraded about, and they opened their beaks and they let out a shout, We know who's who. Now there isn't a doubt. The best kind of snitches are the snitches without. Then, of course, those with, uh, with stars all got frightfully mad. To be wearing a star now was frightfully bad. Then, of course, old Sylvester McMonkey McBean invited them into his star-off machine. And then, of course, then on, as you probably guess, things really got into a horrible mess. All the rest of that day, on those wild screaming beaches, the fix-it-up chappy kept, up, kept fixing up snitches, off again, on again, in again, out again, to the machines they raced around and about again, changing their stars every minute or two. They kept paying money. They kept running through, until neither the plane or the starbellies knew which, whether this one was that one, or that one was this one, or which one was what one, or what one was who. Then, when every last cent of their money was spent, the fixes of Chappie packed up and he went. And he laughed as he drove in his car up the beach. They will never learn. No, you can't teach a snitch.
McBean was quite wrong, I'm quite happy to say, that the Sneeches really quite, uh, got, quite, got really quite smart on that day. They, uh, the day they decided that Sneeches are Sneeches, and no kind of Sneech is the best on the beaches. That day, all the Sneeches forgot about stars, and whether they had one or not upon Mars. All right, y'all can have a seat. Thank you for joining me up here. Okay, so you're probably wondering what in the world is going on, right? What does Dr. Seuss have to do with the Bible? What does it have to do with church? Well, let's, let's talk about that. Go to my next slide. This book was written in 1961. And um, those of you know that the decades leading up to that were very difficult with World War and uh, the, the 60s upon them. Uh, and you can observe several things in this book right away. It's not, it's not your typical children's book. It kind of meets, there's more that meets the eye. Um, in this story, there are, there are themes of discrimination uh, throughout, right? I mean, in, in fact, that star on their belly, it's, it's believed that that star represents the Star of David that the Jews had to wear so that the, the Nazis could recognize them. But even without that knowledge, as adults, we can pick up on the moral of the story pretty, pretty easily, right? That, that with a star or, or without a star, our identity is wrapped up in more than just... Well, it's not wrapped up in our physical appearances or our abilities or, or our money or, or power. That, those things don't identify us. Those things don't make us who we are. Speaking of identif identifying, how many, how many of you have some sort of uh, some form of ID on you right now? Yeah. What do we use those things for? Well, we, we use them uh, sometimes when you write a check or pay with a credit card. You got to show your ID. If if you want to rent a car or rent a hotel room, you have to have ID. And and then there's of course the unfortunate times when you get pulled over for speeding and you have to show them your ID, right? The, the information on ID tells, tells someone where we live, uh, what we look like, whether or not we need corrective lenses. But again, those are all temporary things, right? Um, people move all the time. The, the Griffiths's, Griffiths, how do you say, how do you pluralize your name? Griffiths's, Griffiths's, tell you this family. <laughs> They moved here, uh, they moved into Texas, and, and as they're quickly figuring out, I think, that Texans are very proud of the fact that we live in Texas. I, f I figured I'd get an amen on that one. Okay, there we go. Uh, but we don't hold that against them because they took so long to get here. Well, maybe a little bit, but no, really, the, the location of where you eat and where you sleep, that doesn't define us. And our looks don't define us. Thankfully, right? Because I don't know if you are blessed with good looks or not, but your day is coming. And good looks only last so long, and uh, it's going to change. It's going to change. In fact, kids, have you ever seen pictures of your grandparents or your great-grandparents when they were young? They were a good-looking bunch of people. But now, 
mean? My, okay, my point is, my point is, we, we all kind of hit, reach a peak of good lookingness. And then after that, it's just all downhill from there. And some of you peaked very early in life. <laughs> I'm going to pay for that one, but that's all right. But the good thing is looks don't define us. And certainly not whether I have corrective lenses. I wear contact lenses. That doesn't define me either. So what, what does? What, what does? And, and why is knowing my identity so important? To be honest, this is not really, identity is not really a topic you can cover in one sermon. I mean, it's, it's huge. If we had a series of sermons, we could, we could talk about it for several weeks. Uh, but I'm gonna, we'll do the short version today. There, there are two main things that make up our identity. Heritage and our choices. So let's talk about the first one. Our heritage. Perhaps you've noticed there's been kind of a big upswing in people wanting to know more and more about their family tree, about their heritage. Uh, they'll, they'll start to search more and more than maybe they have in the past. I mean, what, what used to be found in the first few pages of the family Bible... I don't know if you had a family Bible or not, a big old thick thing. That's what I think of. I think of a family Bible that sits out there. The first few pages had the family tree in it. You don't see that anymore. I mean, this is, this is the size of my Bible. And so people want to know. They want to search. And they, they continue to look for the family history. Websites like Ancestry.com have all kinds of helpful information. They've helped people find out who their great, great, great grandparents are. And I'm not sure if, if you're familiar with this or not, um, but now you can, you can search out your family heritage through DNA testing. You can, you can order this kit and they send it to you and you do a swab in your mouth or you spit in a cup and, and you send it off. And they send you a report. And it tells you whether or not you are, in fact, part Native American or part English. Of course, everybody, everybody I always meet, they're all, they're all part Native American, right? Everybody says, oh, I'm part Native American. Okay, well, now you can prove it. I've actually met some people that that's, they were told all their life they're Native American, and they get the report and go, oh, I'm not. So it was, it was interesting. Um, but people want to know. More and more people want to know. They want to know where they came from. Because it affects them. And as they're part, part of their identity, it affects who they become. We find our lineage, our, our heritage, in the beginning uh, of the book Genesis. Genesis 1, 26, 27 said, that God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. Here we find in the first chapter of the first book, within the first few verses, we find our lineage. Where we come from. The Lord made us in, in His image. The creator of, of the universes made us in, in His image. He gave us creativity. He gave us a sense of humor. He gave us the, the ability to, to reason. 
He gave us the, the, the ability to have compassion and mercy and forgiveness and, and much, much more. So many people are longing to find out where they came from. They, they search and search to find where their great, great, great uncle, who that person was. We don't have to look very far to find out who our father is. Knowing that the Lord made us in his likeness should mean a lot to us. It should be part of our identity. But earlier I mentioned there's, there's two parts. Another major part that defines us, and that's, that's our choices. Our choices can define who we are. In his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey talks about choices a little bit, and he says, But until a person can say deeply and honestly, I am what I am today because of the choices I made yesterday, then that person cannot say, I choose otherwise. Without question, there are things in your life such as family background, genetics, educational history, and more that, that can be important as far as where you are today. But there's one thing that is playing the primary role in determining the outcome of your life, and that's your choices. Granted, we came into this world with pre-existing conditions, where we were born, the color of our skin, our, our basic physical characteristics, um, and the guidance we received in early childhood. These are all factors that help to form us in some way. However, even at a very early age, our choices start to override these factors and we begin to make life our own. We can choose to be polite or indifferent. We can choose to study or go play with our friends. We can choose to work hard or just get by. We can choose to, do, to decide what you want to do with your life or, or just accept what comes your way. Our choices define who we are. And we get to choose whether or not we want to be a child of God. It's not like here on earth where you didn't get to choose your parents. And maybe now as, as older as an adult, you're like, you know what, if I had a choice, I probably would have chose someone different. I don't know. Maybe that's the case. But unlike we don't get to choose who we're physically born to, we get to choose whether or not we want to be born again as God's child. Even though we are made in the image of the Lord God Almighty, we still get to choose. He gives that to us. He lets us have it. We get to have a choose, to get to choose whether we want that or not. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. So in Christ Jesus, we are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. We've clothed ourselves with Christ. We've, we've surrounded ourselves with Christ. That's a choice that we make. John tells us in his gospel, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children are not born of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Through Christ, we become children of God. Without him, our sinfulness keeps us apart from our Father in heaven. It's our choice to receive him. The gift is there, but we have to accept it. 
26 and 27, which, which Elliot read for us this morning. Oh, no, he read the one. I'm sorry. Um, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear. Again, rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him, by Him, we cry, Abba, Father. Again, we, we receive the Holy Spirit. We choose to be led by God. And it's His Spirit that brings about our adoption as sons and daughters. In Christ, I am, I am the Lord's child. My identity rests on the fact that I am made in His image and that I've made the decision to be His child. And that, that holds great, great value. You know how some things have value one day and then the next it doesn't? Some things come to mind, and I'm going to show you a few pictures. If any of these ring a bell, Cabbage Patch Dolls, Tickle Me Elmo, I don't know if you remember, parents, uh, kids won't know this at all, but parents may remember, there were like fights in department stores over Tickle Me Elmo. It was so valuable that year, and then two days after Christmas, eh. Beanie Babies? Some of you may have Beanie Babies. But I know there's some, there are a few that are, are rare and valuable, but most of them are not quite the collector's item that they were promised to be. And it's not something we even think about anymore. But there was a time when grown men sat around and thought nothing but black powder, uh, black pepper, rather. Black pepper. How do I get it? How do I get more? How do we take control of the industry from point of origin to, to final purchase? You know, cinnamon at one point was worth 15 times the value of silver. I bet you didn't realize how much money you had in your spice rack at home, right? And go cash that in. Well, unfortunately, spices are so common that they have lost their value. Being a child of God is not like that. I mean, not at all. It does not depreciate in value. It never loses its, its specialness. It will never cease to be the, the greatest thing you can call your own in this life because it's it's who we're meant to be why is knowing your identity so important it's because it determines who we will become it's who we were meant to be knowing that I'm made in, in God's own image that I'm in, in Christ I'm his child I'm not a slave I'm not a servant I'm his child that changes everything it changes how I see myself right it changes how I view other people. It changes how I how I deal with the joys and, and the troubles of this life. It changes everything. I think uh, it was a few years ago that I was uh, did a sermon and uh, I told you a story about how I was approached by a guy one time uh, in a job interview and he said, "What are the three things that that teens struggle with most?" And I had to think about it for a while. And I said, give me, give me a little while. And I came, came back. And I said, okay, I got it. I said, purpose, purity, and identity. With, with identity probably being the most important of those three. Because it, because it drives 
the other two. I mean, think about it. How does your how much does your purpose rest on who you are? If I don't know that, what, what am I doing? And and why would I keep myself pure if it's not because I'm a child of God or, or desire to be a child of God? What's my reason for that? If if I fail to see the care that God put into me or who I am, the question of what am I meant to do, what is my purpose, it it has less importance. Our identity in Christ means so much. And that's why it's important we take the time and have the conversation with each other about our identity. That's why it's important we have the conversation with our children. We can use a simple story like the snitches to start that conversation. Our children need to know that they are made in the image of God. And when they choose to be led by His Spirit, they become His child. That's where we look for, that's where we look to for our identity. That's where we look for what defines us, what gives us value. And who's gonna who's gonna help them understand that? Well, it's the parents' job, right? I mean. Now, church, it's, it's our job. It's our job. You know the phrase, it, it takes a village to raise a child? It's our job. And I will speak, personally, I, I want godly Christian adults speaking into my child's life, my children's life. I want a hundred different voices saying the same truth to my child. Because that's when it really starts to stick, uh, stick and starts to really sink in. And if we really consider who we tomorrow's leaders in the church, then it's not really the, the parents' problem. It's it's a collective responsibility. It's our job too. Today we, we've chosen to focus on families to, to encourage them, to celebrate them, and as a church, we want to continue to do whatever we can to assist them in, in raising their children. We have a new resource in, in connection with our, our Faith at Home program uh, that we're unveiling today called Faith Path. And it encourages and equips parents to, uh, to discuss a particular topic with their child over the course of that year, or maybe even more, of that child's life. And so I've got a, just a brief overview video that we're going to watch at this time.
really seems to be very little guidance on the spiritual health of And really, this is the most important one. This is the one that's going to have eternal energy on our children's The faith path was created to guide you in giving your child a firm foundation in the And one of the suggestions is when we really wanted to help you with the how. And so you're going to find the ideas, recommended resources that you prepare for certain milestones in your child's life, and you begin to focus on particular spiritual disciplines and practices. You're going to hear from experts and families that have gone before you. We pray that the faith path would equip you, would challenge you, and would encourage you as you guide your child's spiritual journey one step at a time. So what exactly is the faith path? The faith path is designed to help parents in the process of nurturing faith in their children and step at a time. We do this by recommending a focus on specific practices and specific for certain ages. The church will provide you a specially designed kit each step that includes training video, guide, fun startup, and best of resource recommendations that will help you gain greater confidence. We draw wisdom from both experts on this topic and from those families who are a little further down the path. We look forward to partnering with the parent needs one step. special classes uh, for parents based on the age uh, of their children. And to find your class, you can we have it on the screen. You also have it on the, uh, the piece of paper in your seats. Uh, our children uh, will, and teenagers will be living larger than over in Jump Street. Uh, and our children that are three years and up will go. If, if, if you're two and below, we ask that you uh, take your child with you to your class uh, during that time. And uh, if you don't have any children living at home, or you don't, you, and you're more than welcome to attend one of these classes, by the way, if it interests you, or if that's an area that maybe you're teaching, or whatever. Uh, but if you uh, would like to attend another class, we have an auditorium class in here that will be led by Tony on what the, what the village can do to help our families in raising their children. I, I hope you're willing to help, because we need all the help we can give. And uh, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with giving your child a, a cabbage patch doll or, or a beanie baby, uh, but those things are going to lose value. The, instead, the, the greatest give, gift we can give our kids is our love and the knowledge of who they're meant to be. Because that will affect everything that they do. It will affect who they listen to. It will affect who they hang out with, what they watch. It, it affects everything. It, it changes. It changes everything. Today we want to offer the, the invitation to become a child of God. To make that all-important choice to receive Him. To, to put Christ on in, in baptism and become His child. Or at this time, if, if you would like the prayers of this congregation, we invite you to come forward as, as we stand and as we sing.
mansion like nothing ever seen.